Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Congratulations, Charles! You are the uh, you're the first um, episode of twenty twenty three. Oh, wonderful! Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back from break, so I'm, I'm the New Year baby. <laughs> you are the New Year baby. Yes. So Bringing it. Whenever we do the year in review, you will be mentioned first. Oh boy! <laughs> All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Conspiracy Normal. We are back from a long three-week hiatus but uh we are nevertheless here again to uh usher in the new year of 2023 and uh we're starting out with uh a guest that i heard on another podcast where the road go not too long ago a few months ago in fact uh charles lear who uh contacted me about coming on but i was going to contact him so so here we are um and i'm really proud to say that charles did you you listen to this show i think that's awesome yeah oh, very uh, i'm a fan <laughs> good good excellent excellent uh well let's talk a little bit about you uh first of all because we're going to talk about some of a blog that you did about when ufology went off the rails and we're going to talk a little bit about your book called the ufo investigators um but let's talk a little bit about you and just kind of how you got into this subject and how you started writing about ufos what led you to write the book about UFO investigators specifically? Yeah, I, I tell everybody I was born interested in this, um, I'm, but I'm interested in pretty much everything. Uh, and, you know, paleontology, geology, history, uh, and, you know, so, um, but I started, uh, I, <sighs> I think uh, the first book I remember reading was The Bermuda Triangle by Charles Berlitz. I probably mm-hmm. read something well way before that. Um, and uh, in the uh, 80s and 90s, uh, mostly the 90s, uh, there was an awesome video store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, that had every UFO documentary you could think of on videotape. And so I rented every damn one of them. And I love to take naps to UFO videos because they have great synth music. And uh, I say it's like baseball. You can drift off and then come back and, uh, you know, something interesting is on and maybe didn't miss too much. Yeah, right. Uh, and, but, uh, and, what, and you can watch them repeatedly that way. Um, but uh, so, you know, I... I, I I became well versed in uh, all, you know every a, a lot of stuff, and uh, I I happened upon uh, Martin Willis's podcast UFO, and I really liked his approach because uh, I hadn't 
He has had a, a just a very not a believer, not a non-believer. Um, you know, he just listened to people, and I call I consider uh, Martin Willis the uh, uh, Charlie Rose of ufology. He seems to get get stuff out of people, and he's he's got you know kind of a lovely, uh, a slightly awkward persona. Uh, he's always he's uh, notorious for having technical issues, uh, but you know he's he's a really likable guy, and his guests really open up to the point where he can just stop talking and they'll just go on. Um, but he used to offer the second hour. Uh, it, you, you the first hour was free. The second hour, um, you give him a contribution via PayPal. I didn't want to get a PayPal account. But I saw you at a guest blog spot, and I said, "Hey, Martin, uh, I don't want to get a PayPal account, but I'd love the second hour. Could I uh, write you a regular blog?" And he said, "Sure." And I started doing it, and then I turned been turning in one once a week for about the last four years. And uh, you know, I, I look at the old ones; they're, they're pretty awful. I, I learned how to write along the way. Uh, I started studying grammar and, you know, all that good stuff and um, got better and better. And actually, you know, a trick to all you uh, aspiring writers, if you actually learn the rules, it's a lot easier. You, you write a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, so I don't use Grammarly or anything like that. I, I like to just know the rules uh, and you know they're not rules it's just how to make it as clear as possible uh so you know i got better and better i believe <laughs> uh and uh i'm happy with it and in any case um and at one point uh martin said you know charles you've got a hell of a lot of blogs um you ought to compile them and put them into a book and i said uh well you know actually i started writing uh a book and uh just toying around with it uh i got interested in writing about the flying saucer investigators uh mainly from uh, 1947 up to the termination of project blue book it's my favorite period in ufology and uh mainly inspired by uh the mothman prophecies because the characters in there jim mosley gray barker ivan t sanderson they seemed really interesting to me and i wanted to find out more about them and i started looking into them and writing blogs about them for martin and uh you know said you know this is really uh what i want to write about uh, so i said well you know i um uh long story short he introduced me to philip mantle runs flying disc press and i pitched the idea to philip philip went for it and uh so i ended up writing the flying saucer investigators which was published on uh, uh june uh, of uh, 2022 the uh, 75th anniversary of uh, kenneth arnold's sighting uh so i'd been was doing the podcast circuit after that uh and uh here i am that's a great way to, to write a book. A lot of my favorite books kind of start out that way as small collections of writings and then eventually turn into a, a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's chronological, so it was pretty easy. And I, you know, I was able to pull some of the blogs I actually wrote and rejigger them and use them in the book and uh, also, you know, write original material for the book. 
Yeah, I definitely like the chronological approach. You delved into some historical things that um, I haven't really seen a lot of people really talk about. Um, there's some things that just some details in the book that that I just didn't. I don't. I don't think I I knew before about about some of this material. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, a, a famous one is the, the coining of the phrase "flying saucer." It's always told wrong. Right. Uh, right. You know, yeah. everybody says you know. Uh, uh, Bill Baquette uh, took uh, Kenneth Arnold's uh, quote saying they skip like sauce, a saucer on water. Uh, and they, uh, the, the term actually first showed up in the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, uh, supersonic flying saucers. Uh, so uh, as far as I can tell is the, the first time flying saucers ever became a, a thing was in the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah, I think you do a great job with um starting with um, Ray Palmer and Richard Shaver. People don't think about it, but it really starts the modern UFO age. There's a lot of the memes and tropes that are part of ufology that go into it. It's also the idea that um, uh, Palmer came up with the idea of it 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 could be true. Um, and, uh, you know, I call it the, the, the what if story. Um, so, you know, it, before that it, it was science fiction and, you know, fact or journalism and Palmer, big science fiction fan combined the two, uh, and, uh, a lot of, uh, science fiction fandom turned on him <laughs> and really hated him for it. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, he, he's pretty much the first guy to, really make that kind of thing popular it could be true <laughs> yeah before we get into the book um which are some questions that i have we wanted to talk about this five-part series that you did on podcast ufo on the blog about the ufo cover-up live and yeah just basically <laughs> this is the moment you say that um ufology went off the rails but <laughs> There's there's so much in the book that I could be like, well, that's really when ufology went off the Mari Island might be where ufology goes <laughs> off the rails, but uh, and that's much earlier than um, UFO cover up live. But UFO cover up live, yeah, definitely some things go off the rails. But I I can't help but think, um, and you know, we've had Adam go rightly on talking about um, saucers, spooks, and kooks. Yep. Yeah, that's an, that's that's the title. And we, we've had him on talking about that, and I can't help but think that a lot of the mythology that goes into something like UFO Cover-Up Live is what you later see happening and being you know, exploited by, like, the X-Files. And that's kind of become that modern mythology of, like, the underground bases and the aliens among us and all these type of things really start really with like the Benowitz affair and all this, which lead Richard Doty, which leads all the way to the UFO cover up live. And then it just goes on from there. So why is the UFO cover up live? Why is that when the ufology goes off the rails? Um, it was a, it was a showcase for what was pretty, very much what was going on at the time. And there was so much BS being pumped down our throats um it was also in a different 
basically I, I approached I, I looked into this because I'm writing a follow-up to the flying saucer investigators called the UFO investigators uh, starting from the termination of Blue Book up until uh, Bill Moore's 19. 19- 89 uh, MUFON symposium speech, where he basically came clean about his uh, relationship with Doty. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's probably the most difficult stuff to write about. So I figured I might as well ta- take a stab at it. And uh, you know, that, that's my first pass at it because um, it's really complex, it's really convoluted. Writing probably helps you like sort it out in your own mind. Yeah, yeah, that's very much what that whole series was about. It wasn't, you know, it was an exploration of mine. Uh, and another thing I do in the blogs is I link to all my sources, uh, so the reader can go ahead and uh, you know look for themselves, uh, take the journey with me uh, if they want. Um. Uh, but a big difference between uh, the period I wrote about in the uh, uh, the published book and this next period is that the UFO investigators kind of uh, took the spotlight uh, before it was the UFOs, um, kind of more so than the investigators. The investigators sat a little more in the, a lot a lot more in the background, um, and. In the uh, leading up to the 80s, uh, the investigators got more and more public and they became personalities Mm -hmm. uh, and it became more about them. And it also uh, it wasn't them presenting the evidence. It was them saying, uh, you know, I'm a respected investigator. Take me at my word, Uh, which that's a big difference between you know, this period in the earlier period where they said, here's, you know, here's the case. Uh, here's all the facts we know about the case. And they present it. Um, and mostly in publications, written publications, uh, newsletters for their um, uh, for their members. So, you know, by the time we have UFO cover up live, you've got these personalities, William Moore, uh, primarily in that one. Um uh, but all Stanton Friedman, <laughs> not, don't forget him. Uh, Jacques Vallée has become big. Uh, so, you, you know, and then not to mention people like, um, oh, uh, Robert Dean. Um, uh, you know, th- there were all these guys who would come up with, uh, come forward with uh, credentials, uh, like Robert B- Dean, for instance, Um uh, saying, you know, I was, uh, I think he, Colonel, I believe he was, um, uh, you know, saying, you know, these are my military credentials, take everything what I take everything I say uh, at face value, and I'm not going to give you any evidence for it. Um, so anyway, by the time we get to um, UFO cover up live, um, it, it's kind of just turning uh over to people like Robert Dean and um, John Lear and Bill Cooper and that whole mess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We should say that there's no relation between you and John Lear, right? That's that's, that's just, it's purely coincidence. Uh, maybe very distant, but not close enough that I benefited <laughs> gotcha. any from Bill Lear's fortune, uh, his father. Right. You, the inventor of the Lear jet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I first came upon, um, I first ran into UFO cover up live. I'd seen it before, but I was, um, looking into uh, uh, a, a story about a UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base and ran into uh, one of my favorite uh, 70s documentaries was uh, UFOs It Has Begun, uh, which was first released in 1974 as UFOs Past, Present, and Future. Um, it was primarily written by Robert Emenegger, mm-hmm. and he right. produced it along with a guy named Alan Sandler. It has Rod Serling as its main narrator. Uh, Burgess Meredith shows up. Jose Ferrer, Jacques Vallée, J. Allen Hynek. Uh, it's got Hector Quintanilla, who was a uh, Project Blue Book uh, head, uh, who is kind of infamous for, um, uh, I think it was Dale Spar, uh, the uh, UFO chase across um, Ohio into Pennsylvania and uh, really uh, made him look bad um but yeah it's got um it's a real nice slice of history and at the end of it it's got a uh, quintanilla heinick valet um i think valet's in there uh all kind of discussing at the end uh the possibility of extraterrestrial life um but it's also looks like the uh, um, robert friend is in there too a tuskegee airman uh who was also head of uh project blue book uh, who was uh, a favorite of uh, Heineck's. Uh, Heineck really liked him. He said he, he kind of looked at it with an open-minded point of view. Um, so you've got all these uh, awesome historical characters in there. And it also seems like there's a lot of cooperation from the Air Force. Uh, William Coleman, who was a former uh, spokesman for the Air Force at the Pentagon, who handled the UFO issues, uh takes the uh, takes the camera crew on a tour through uh, the Pentagon and talks about UFO cases uh you know the um, uh, the Thomas Mantell incident and you know gives a little history uh Robert friend tells a, a crazy story about um, how uh, I think the, the CIA and uh, uh, intelligence officers uh, got involved with a contact key T case uh, where uh, a woman was claiming the channel, some guy named Afa. Um, and then uh, one of the uh, officers uh, claimed that uh, he began channeling him. And then a UFO appeared in front of, uh, in a, uh, I think it was a CIA uh, photographic lab. They were there um, interviewing this guy and he said do you want a ufo appear look out the window and friend actually says this on camera uh so it's a really weird documentary um and but an interesting thing about the documentary is that they um Emenager was as later said that he was promised footage of an actual ufo landing at holland right. air force base mm-hmm. And it was withdrawn at the last minute. Um, he's claimed that it was because 
um, in the wake of the Vietnam War, the the military was trying to uh, open up to the public uh, and, you know, like it was a PR exercise of some sort. And then because of Watergate, uh, he says he thinks that's why they they pulled the footage at the last minute. So the end of the movie is um, illustrated footage of what's supposed to be on this film. Um, so the reason, reason this becomes significant in this discussion is because these guys, Emmenager and the guy who promised them the film, Paul Shartle, uh, both appear on UFO cover up live and they tell the story. Uh, so you've kind of got this conspiracy thing going, kind of, you know, uh set up right there at a ufo cover-up live like there's you know the government knows the old story that the government knows more about ufos uh, than they're telling and they've actually got footage uh had uh, like a right actual ufo landing um and coleman is there with emanager and he actually tells the story of uh seeing a 70-foot ufo i think in uh, 1955 when he was uh piloting a, a i think a dc-25 um and that's actually you know it, a, a moment where you, where you kind of perk up it, during ufo cover-up live one of the few moments that is like, hmm. and what's interesting about ufo cover-up live it's basically a train wreck um <laughs> it uh the producer michael seligman uh decided he wanted everything scripted uh uh at the, nearly the last minute and made up all these cue cards and it made for some really awkward moments because some people are really bad at reading cue cards on the show and it's pretty obvious like uh mike farrell is the host from mash mm-hmm. and uh he's very poised very relaxed uh he rolls with the punches got a crazy comb over going on too yeah yeah definitely um but um you know so Farrell's doing his best to make it seem natural and it's definitely not <laughs> seeming natural and there's just an awful moment uh where they uh and bill moore um had uh contacts in russia a russian investigator so he arranged for uh uh, uh russians uh investigators to appear on the show and they've apparently they say they've got a live feed uh it seems that Farrell actually asks questions uh early <laughs> and so they might have filmed them um it, it, it it's it's either there was a really bad delay uh, but then there are moments, it seems like there's a bad delay at first, uh, where he asks a question and then the uh, Russian researcher on the other end is waiting, 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 and then comes in. Uh, and then there are moments when he seems to ask the question too fast um, and almost steps on them as they're talking. So as to whether that was filmed beforehand or not, uh, that that's a question and and the the answers that the russians were giving to was it i think you you wrote that those were also uh reading them from cue cards yeah yeah Yeah. and uh so you've got these thick russian accents um one guy's pretty bad at english and it's it's really awkward it's cringe inducing literally um so you know it, it it 
kind of starts off promising and then just uh, uh, spirals into to a mess. And a big thing about it is is uh, it's a show. It's more uh, and Friedman um, kind of. They definitely saw this as a showcase for their MJ-12 documents, um, which had hit the scene. uh, Oh, I think it was 85, and this is in 88. Um, And uh, they were really, uh, uh, you know, they saw this as a showcase for, you know, their. Uh, groundbreaking research uh, into the Roswell case, um, uh, but they're they're not featured probably as much as they'd like to have been. Uh, a big part of it centered around the Gulf Breeze sightings, and um, yeah, that was big at that time. Yeah, eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, oh, uh, what was the guy um, who took the pictures? Ed Walters. Ed Walters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they look at Ed Walters' pictures, and they they have one guy that pretty convincingly uh, says they're fake, and, and good old Bruce Maccabee says, "No, they're real." <laughs> so, the lamps in the windows. Uh, <laughs> you know, come on now, it's not lamps in a window. It's real, damn it. Debu- um, what a debunker. Yeah, um, but uh, what really. Uh, made it ridiculous was these two government insiders uh which are pretty conclusively uh been argued were uh richard doty and robert collins as falcon and condor uh doty yeah. is as falcon and uh, collins as condor of in the shadow. aviary yes in shadow with their voices altered um and you know the the most infamous thing is uh Doty Falcon uh saying that um uh we had a uh we had an alien on earth um and uh it liked uh, ancient tibetan music and uh, strawberry ice cream mm-hmm. which wasn't that pulled from some of the John Lear stuff the strawberry ice cream I don't know about that I could believe it though yeah, I think I think eventually I think that 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 came from some stuff that I think that uh, well, this is what Aaron Gullius has has talked about before is that I think there was a thing where they were trying to mess with John Lear and was trying to mess with um, uh, Bill Cooper. Mm-hmm. And so the strawberry ice cream was part of that. It was like some oh, okay. document that they made. So I think Dodie was just picking that from. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah I forget <laughs> yes. what that, I remember. I know that, yeah. that document where, uh, you know, uh, actually Bill Lear told Cooper straight up. You just said that document was real. I made that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's the document. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yeah. And there's another moment where you've got, um, Betty Cash and Vicky, Vicky Landrum uh, talking about their experience. They're actually very poised. Uh, I think they'd been on the uh, circuit a little bit at that point, uh, but the, they they handled the uh, the script very well. Um, and then uh, they have uh, Dodie 
Falcon chime in that uh, this was um, an alien aircraft being piloted by uh, human pilots, you know, military pilots who lost control of it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so anyway, the, uh, uh, yeah, another ridiculous part of uh, UFO Cover Up Live was that they had all these call-in numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for right. first, second, third, CE1, CE2, CE3, CE4, you haven't seen anything. Um, well, why would you call it? Why, why? <laughs> and it's a, dollar, it's a dollar a call. That's yeah, I haven't seen anything. Click. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's a dollar a call, um, and uh, and yeah, and he actually Farrell is forced to read out the entire number for each one of those. So you've got all this time. You're just one eight hundred four three three one six eight one one. So he's yeah, going yeah, all this I remember way. that. Yeah. Uh, it's just like oh and uh this just awful awful synth music um uh, permeating the whole thing uh just really- as i mean it's the 80s it's about ufos i mean but no but awful, I mean, awful synth music is just gonna be part of it it's crappy i mean really <laughs> crappy beyond. was that like some dx7 uh, not even I, mean, um, I think it's i'm a dx7 fan myself but it can get yeah uh, yeah it actually it it, it it's yeah, it's it's really bad. I mean, it's just probably some awful MIDI crap. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, it it's pretty much a train wreck of a show, um, and you know the, the uh, squeaky chairs and uh, Feral goes up a few times, um, you know, and it has to rearrange his uh, cue cards and yeah, it, it's. It's a mess, but the, you know the 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 whole Doty and the uh, Collins thing made it ridiculous. But what's in so what's come about though is that this was part of a government disinformation program, um, rather than you know this was just you know uh, oh yeah another really uh, ridiculous thing is when uh, Stanton Friedman says they have proof. Uh, that they've recovered alien bodies that were autopsied and uh, they have all this lurid uh, illustrations of the Roswell crash. And, you know, uh, uh, as far as I go with the Roswell crash, if you read the, uh, I think it's the um, July 9th Roswell Daily Record and read Mac Brazel's uh, original description of the material, uh, he describes rubber and sticks and tape with purple flowers on it. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and talks about it being in a bundle you could, you know, carry in your hands, probably about eight inches in diameter, um, and as opposed to, you know, wreckage strewn over uh, a football field. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to get too into that. I'll make enemies. Um, but in any case, you know, the, the, the fact that... There, there are. There's a really good website. Uh, I don't know it, but uh, looking in, uh, offhand, but uh, they, the, this, I think it's the. Oh, I, I should have this on hand, but I don't. Um, 
basically looking at all the witnesses who have been discredited one by one by one by one and just everything that's been kind of thrown out since uh friedman said uh we have proof and you know obviously they didn't have proof or you know we would be talking about you know aliens as a an absolute proven reality right now i i take it you're not a big fan of of the roswell crash story well i mean you know it was shoved down our throats all through the 80s and 90s i mean that was was. you know it's kind of like um you know the whole uh ttsa thing it sucked the life out of ufology um and so much other stuff was going on this was you know this happened in 1947 um and meantime you know well what was happening at the present you know um well especially i think with the roswell's with the roswell material you know so much of it was it was out it was way after the fact it was you know 30 years later when stanton freeman really starts to really dig into it and, and that's fine but all we really know at that point was that jesse marcel saw this weird material in the field that was it there were no alien bodies there was nothing there was nothing like that and then 10 more years and 10 more years down the line all of a sudden all these people are coming out and saying oh we had there there that we saw the alien bodies we saw the ship we saw all this and so you go from this like a like simple story to all of a sudden there's there's alien bodies yeah it just kept getting added on to right and it was and, and and the only proof for that the only proof of the alien bodies that i saw consistent proof was the glenn dennis the mortician i think it was a mortician the mortician that drew from memory the drawing that a nurse gave to him in 1947 40 years before he drew from memory of another drawing second hand i mean that was it that was essentially the big reveal but that when you when you when you read that when you really get down to the core of it 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 all kind of starts to just kind of fall apart that distance though you know allows something like that to build and self-generate yeah if it if it was you know something sooner you'd have enough actual people around who are involved but it worked to the air force's benefit because all they could say was okay well you know, they they tried to they also tried to explain it off as a weather balloon. I think there was a lot more going on, but it was something that it was a top secret craft that we that we had. The unfortunate thing about that too is like the mogul balloon explanation explanation made sense, but then uh, he went further um, in the uh, you know Roswell uh, case closed. I think there was a part two of that, and that's where the tried to just explain away the bodies as crash test dummies that didn't even exist at the time. Right. Um, Yeah. It was, it was like something from the fifties as opposed to something from the forties. They they stepped on their own foot on that one. And their whole idea was like, well, people just jumbled all this up in their minds and all that. But, but even Marcel was, uh, you know, uh, uh, shown to have uh, exaggerated his uh, service. Uh, talking about his service, he exaggerated. Uh, so his credibility was in question as well. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, you know that's a, an endless debate. 
Yeah, I think the Roswell crash stuff has just done more harm than good. It did really well for Roswell, New Mexico. I can tell you <laughs> yeah. that. I, I was actually, you know, uh, when I came back from, I was staying in uh, Magdalena, New Mexico during the, uh, uh, the, the whole 2020 mess. Um, and uh, on my way back, I drove back and I stopped uh, at uh, Roswell and uh, then I stopped off in uh, West Virginia and went to the uh, Flatwoods Monster Museum, the Clark oh, yeah. Harrison Public Library and the Mothman Museum. And mm-hmm. I was just there in September in both of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but anyway, so uh, what I wanted to do was investigate the whole idea that the uh, UFO cover up live was a disinformation thing. Um so in order to do that, you've got to look at uh, the self-proclaimed disinformation agent, uh, Richard Doty. I also wanted to explore the idea that William Moore was culpable in all this, mm-hmm. uh, or at least looking the other way. Uh, so the way I approached it um, was to first look at the credibility of Moore and Doty. Um, and so I looked at the Philadelphia experiment. I, I read the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, which Moore uh, co-authored with uh, Charles Belitz. I believe uh, Moore's name is uh, first in the uh, byline. Uh, and the guy that uh, Moore got behind was Carlos Allende slash uh, Allen. Um, Carl Allen, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. Aaron, Aaron Goyas did a really good uh, series on Carl Allen yeah. Allende. Um, and he... Basically, the story of the uh, Philadelphia experiment came out because uh, Carlos, uh, Carl Allen, let's just call him Carl Allen, it's easier. Uh, Carl Allen uh, wrote uh, Morris K. Jessup uh, a series of letters. Um, And uh, one of them, he described this experiment um, where the military was working on camouflage and they they trans... uh, The story is that they transported a uh, ship from the Philadelphia Navy Yard uh, to uh, the uh, Norfolk, Virginia area, Um, and then back. And then uh, the story has come out that uh, uh, has developed that, you know, there were all these um, uh, crewmen embedded in the ship uh, as part of the ship. And, you know, it was a big mess. and that's the mythos. Uh, and it all started with uh, Carl Allen. Um, Carl Allen came forward in 1969, I believe, uh, walked into the uh, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization offices and said, it was all a hoax. I made it up. Um, He's like, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in the book, uh, Moore and Berlitz uh, call it a so-called confession. Um, but uh, Carl Allen just had a history of making stuff up his whole family said you know uh, he he faked a heart attack so well the paramedics had to check him three times when he was a kid he was constantly making up stories Um, and uh, what's really funny is Jim Mosley found him uh, came across him and yep. notified mm-hmm. Gray Barker, hey, you know, I've got uh, Carl Allen here. Uh, and Barker convinced him to come to uh, West Virginia, Clarksburg, West Virginia. He put him up in the Clarksburg uh, 
uh, Sheraton and said, you know, they, they taped him, uh, <laughs> you know, Mosley and Barker drinking heavily. Um, and yeah, so- you can hear some of that on, uh, on Aaron's uh, saucer life episodes about it. He plays some of that audio. Yeah. Yeah, so that tape is uh, at the Clarksburg Harrison Public Library. And when I was there, David Houchin, the curator, curator uh, gave me a paper he wrote about it. Um, yeah, so, you know, this is the guy that uh, Moore got behind. Um, so that kind of looks at Moore's credibility. And also, you know, the fact that he's able to call it a so-called confession and look the other way in uh, favor of uh, telling a good yarn. Um, so then you get to Doty. Uh, so Doty is a self-proclaimed um, Air Force Office of Special Investigations, uh, CIA-trained disinformation agent. Um, well, you, his service records are available online. Uh, they're not easy to find, um, uh, which I, I've said really kind of doesn't reflect well in the UFO community. Um, but... Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to take a moment to uh, find my source here, but uh, while I'm doing that, I'll talk. Um, so, but uh, basically what they show is that he had a, a career in law enforcement. Uh, yeah, UFOs documenting the evidence. Uh, it's on blogspot.com. Yeah, he was like a state trooper at one time, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Richard C. Doty's United States Air Force records. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that's UFOs documented, documenting the evidence on blogspot.com. Uh, yeah, so they clearly show him working his way up from a gate guard at Wisebaden Air Force Base. Uh, he be, worked himself up to becoming a uh, detective at uh, Kirtland Air Force Base with the Air Force Office of Special in, uh, Investigations. And... Uh, I saw one quote from uh, one of his um, superiors saying he was uh, his drug guy. So it looked like Doty was looking into drug issues. Um, <laughs> but at the very, the, the last entry in his uh, surface records is him in food services. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, Kevin C. Randall would say, you know, he, he was kind of busted down to KP duty. Um uh, but, you know, it doesn't seem like the, I wrote, it doesn't seem like the career trajectory of a uh, CIA trained um, uh, disinformation agent. And the other thing, too, is that if he was a CIA trained disinformation agent, I would think he would have to take a secrecy oath. And he's publicly proclaiming that he was a disinformation agent, which uh, I don't know many others in the intelligence community who well, uh, would go about doing things that way. Was he not in uh, FOSI? Was he not Air Force intelligence? That's what I've always understood. It's not Air Force intelligence. It's Air Force Office of Special Investigation. Yeah. He, he, it's basically, he's an Air Force cop. Yeah, he was, kinda, he was kind of a paper pusher. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Philip Class, um, Class is an infamous debunker. Um, I've actually turned to Class in a few instances because uh, Class, uh, for instance, with the um, that's that's almost like that's that's almost heresy in the UFO field, Charles. Yeah, it kind of is. Uh, you know, that's, the that's... thing about thing about Class is that he. 
um, he did some genuine uh, investigative work and turned up some genuine stuff uh, and, you know, uh, and wrote about it very concisely. And he did so with uh, more, this whole more and MJ 12 stuff. Um, unfortunately, the class would also say some really stupid stuff and go out of his way. Like there's an infamous thing of uh, him offering uh, one of the Walton and uh, witnesses $10,000 to come out and say that it was all a hoax. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he would also say a lot of stupid stuff that really killed his credibility. Uh, but I found that some of his research is actually valuable. Um, so, you know, he kind of stepped on his own foot uh, in terms of being credible. Uh, but um he um he basically um Dodi was over in uh Germany um and uh I, I think he was still with uh AFOSI and uh he got uh basically uh, relieved of duty uh for uh making stuff up <laughs> about what he did um uh, but then afterwards, you can also get his uh, records with the um, uh, uh, New Mexico State Police. And in those records, uh, he had two car crashes that he, he got reprimanded for and suspended without pay. So he definitely wasn't getting any preferential treatment. Uh, so it really doesn't look like Doty was... Uh, what he said he was, you know, what he said he was. Um, a, a caveat is that, um, you know, I when I wrote this, I said, you know, look at this as a, a thought experiment. I'm looking at this from the point of view of parsimony. The simplest explanation is usually the best. It's also Occam's razor. Um, and so, you know, the simplest explanation seems to be that Doty was making stuff up. But what keeps it going is that, you know, the egos of UFO investigators saying, well, we must be onto something if the Air Force thinks enough of, right. uh, you know, what we're finding to send out a uh, disinformation agent. And disinformation agents have been a constant in ufology. Uh, you know, that, uh, accusing somebody of being a disinformation agent. John Keel was accused of being a disinformation agent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but anyway, so... You know, I thought, you know, let's look into the credibility of these two guys. Uh, and it, it looks pretty shaky. Uh, then we get into the MJ-12 documents, um, which uh, came in a uh, in a manila envelope. Uh, it was film of eight documents, uh, the, what's called the Eisenhower briefing document, and then the uh, Cutler Twining memo. Uh, no, no, that they found that later. Um, I think I think it was a um, oh, uh, a letter from uh, Truman uh, um, <clears throat> uh, starting the uh, uh, MJ12 group. Um, in any case, it was all film. You don't have any of the original documents, uh, but it it came to Jamie Chandray. And it had a Kirtland Air Force, it, it had an Albuquerque postmark, which kind of points to Doty. Um, and prior to this, uh, Doty had given Moore a, um, what Moore is called a retyped um, teletype, um, uh, which, 
And then uh, what was called the Aquarius document. And the Aquarius document was supposedly a briefing to Carter. Um, and the Aquarius document is the first place you have uh, the words MJ-12. So this was probably the first time the UFO community ever saw MJ-12 was in the Aquarius document, which was prior to all the MJ-12 documents. Um, and in that document, you have a, a section that says um, the um, basically the aliens have seated a uh, uh, a human being here on Earth to uh, teach us civilization uh, two thousand years. Yeah, I wonder who they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, and what's interesting too is there's punctuation errors in that, um, and grammar errors. So this is also shows up in the uh, MJ-12 documents, uh, kind of consistent uh, errors in grammar and uh, um, uh, punctuation. Um, and then the MJ-12 documents themselves are pretty damn ridiculous. And in doing this, I actually read them for the first time because, <laughs> you know, I grew up with all this stuff. Somebody has to do this. You know, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty damn ridiculous. Um, and uh, the, it starts off with, a, you know, a, um, a recap of uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting. You know, this is a presidential briefing document. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you're going to UFO history 101. Uh, and, and then it describes the, uh, the basically a crash of a craft in, a, uh, I think it was uh, 75 no miles north uh, west of Roswell Army Airfield. Um, and Researcher Brad Sparks pointed out, well, you know, if you're flying, it's only about 60 miles. And if you're driving, it's like 110 miles. So you'd think they'd have that right in the document. Uh, so uh, people started punching. Uh, basically, the, the way that, okay, the, the getting to the Aquarius document. Um, yeah, actually, we got, we got to back up a little bit. Because um, we haven't even talked about Paul Benowitz and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about this. Mm -hmm. uh, but essentially, um, when Moore came forward in his 1989 uh, MUFON Symposium speech, he talked about having this relationship with Doty where Doty would give him information uh, in exchange for him uh, keeping an eye on uh, investigators and uh, helping him uh, disseminate um, disinformation. Um, and his main activity was really with Paul Benowitz. Uh, Paul Benowitz was a researcher who got involved with a um, uh, case of a woman, uh, Myrna. Uh, Myrna Hansen, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, she claimed to have been uh, taken up into a UFO with her son, and uh, <clears throat> a cow was also taken, and they saw a cow uh, mutilated on board the craft. And uh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so, and uh, Benowitz was associated with uh, APRO at the time as well. Um, and so, you know, he was. Uh, um, <clears throat> he was, you know, working with uh, Myrna Hansen, uh, and 
you can see right in the, at the get-go the guy is going off the rails because uh, he I, I think he wrapped a car in aluminum foil and interviewed her in the car because he was afraid aliens yeah. would be yeah. listening in um and, you know a different version of the tinfoil hat and really shouldn't laugh about that because you know like the guy really did he really went insane like yeah. all this kind of stuff drove him insane yeah and and you know everybody a lot of people blame dody and it's like he was on his way <laughs> before dody got a hold. they just pushed him right over the edge but yeah yeah and so yeah and he was writing all these crazy he, he, he wrote up this whole thing uh um uh, project beta um and laid out like you know the the aliens plans to uh take over the world and uh how we can uh defend ourselves against them and i've invented a uh, a gun that seems to work and um yeah it, it's uh, he wrote the president and uh you know, congressman and uh you know a lot of people um and sent out this um project beta um but along the way he uh pointed a lot of uh he, he thought he saw ufos over current um around the uh, manzano uh, weapon storage facility um he's in albuquerque and he's right next to kirtland air force base and uh he had a deck and he, he set up all this um he was a, an electronics wizard um and uh, a computer programmer. He was really, really uh, a smart guy. Uh, so he set up all this electronic surveillance equipment directed at Kirtland Air Force Base, and he's picking up all this stuff that he thinks is alien transmissions. Well, Kirtland Air Force Base has just about every alphabet soup agency you can imagine housed there. Um, so he went there and made a presentation hey i'm picking up all this stuff i think uh, i've seen ufos and i think uh, i'm picking up alien transmissions well of course they're interested because he's got all this surveillance equipment uh picking up what are more than likely um classified transmissions yeah uh, so this is when Doty gets into the fray uh so richard Doty assigned i imagine to investigate and Doty seems to have taken it upon himself to uh or you know maybe was under some loose set of orders uh to get um benowitz's attention away from kirtland air force base so Doty got him onto dulce new mexico um uh, benowitz had been up there before uh looking into uh, cattle mutilation cases uh, i think there was a um a town meeting uh and that you know he met gabe valdez there um and so he was familiar with dulce uh so Doty basically convinced him there was an underground base at dulce and flew him over there and uh convinced him this was so um and he also got more involved and more would, uh, uh, you know, would basically helping, uh, according to more, uh, helping to feed uh, this whole Dulce myth. Um, and then along, yeah, of course, uh, Benowitz ended up uh, going into a mental hospital. 
Yeah, how how I've always kind of understood it was, yeah, he was picking up those transmissions, but he might have been seeing also, like if they make this in Mirage Men, they talk about how Benevitz might have actually been seeing early drone technology. So they wanted to deflect him away from all that stuff. And they used they used Doty to, well, say, okay, yeah, you're right, the aliens are real. You know, but and and they're in and they're and they're in an underground base that's really close to you. So uh, go over there, and you know, it was just a big deflection. Yeah, and there, there was another thing too, where uh, uh, Bishop writes about it in his. Uh, Greg Bishop wrote about it in uh, Project Beta, uh, saying that uh, Benowitz uh, programmed his own computers uh, to decode alien messages. Uh, but then he offers another thing, uh, the sole source of which was more, uh, more claimed that he met uh, J. Allen Hynek um, at, I think, a, a, a MUFON symposium um, <clears throat> and said that Hynek confessed that he delivered a computer from the Air Force to uh, um, Benowitz uh, that was pre-programmed that would uh, take all these messages and make them into alien messages oh my god uh which doesn't sound like Heineck <laughs> at all <laughs> and uh, so uh, i think that the, the idea that uh benowitz made the computers himself and programmed them himself and they showed him alien messages uh uh because he programmed them that way is a, a more likely story um so that's you know that's more and Doty with Benowitz. Um, but then you get into the MJ-12 stuff, uh, which is where we get into a UFO cover-up live. Um, and, you know, the whole MJ-12 stuff, uh, that just uh, pretty much those those papers, have a, a lot of people, most people dismiss them as being forgeries, fakes, uh, more than likely by Doty. Um, yeah, there's there's also too. I mean, we had Nick Redford on a few years ago, um, and there is a, there is a theory that some of that material might have been from the Soviets as a different disinformation campaign, with some of the bad punctuation and misspellings that that could lend credence to that. But then again, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of like the, that's one of the biggest thing is like they're they're so amateurish, and they and they're like this thing that you want they wanted to be real like it's like it's too good it's just too damn good <laughs> yeah well that's you're getting back to class uh class uh actually the people who if if you really want respectable people <laughs> who looked into get this, out of ufology <laughs> brad 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 sparks and um barry greenwood um wrote about it in a paper they presented at the, I think it was the 2007 MUFON symposium. Um, and um, give me a second part three. Yeah. Boom. Um, yeah. So Yeah, Sparks and Greenwood were looking into, you know, where all this stuff could have come from. Um, and what they looked into uh, was the idea that Doty was working with uh, Robert Pratt, uh, 
on a book. Um, and basically what happened was um, Moore was meeting with Doty um, and telling Doty, uh, this is all talked about in uh, uh, Barry Greenwood and uh, Brad Sparks uh, paper. Uh, Doty was meeting with uh, Moore and Moore was telling Doty uh, about uh, the research he and Stan Friedman were doing and giving him all the information. So Doty would come back and say, you know, this information, you know, it, you know, and, and reinforce this. And then the MJ-12 documents have all the names. Uh, the first things that uh, Friedman says, oh, these are all the names uh, that we thought. Yeah, I, I, you know, the only thing that really surprised them was the name of Donald Menzel, uh, who was in um, the Philip class of his day. Um, so Greenwood and Sparks talk about a feedback loop going with uh, between Moore and Doty um, and uh, Friedman. Uh, so they're, they're saying that was the genesis of the MJ-12 documents. Um, so this feedback loop um, also seems to play into this whole thing of the aviary. Uh, so we have the... Uh, yeah, the aviary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's mm-hmm. another twist in this uh, twisted tale. But anyway, the the idea that the MJ-12 documents were real, Class uh, talked about as being um, real beneficial to Moore, but Class says Moore had a problem because if they turn out to be false, everything points back to Moore uh, because he's the guy, you know, uh, key bono. Um, so, you know, who benefits? Uh, so he talks about more meeting up with, uh, Timothy good and more offering Timothy good, the documents saying, you know, you can publish these in your book, uh, just let us release them first. Um, and that way it looks like, uh, you know, um, and and Timothy Good basically presenting it like he got it from an independent source. So it looks like, you know, they both got him from independent, you know, got him from an insider source. Uh, he also has the benefit of having instant international coverage. Unfortunately, Timothy Good's publisher, this is, uh, I think uh, the book was above top secret. Timothy Good's publisher uh, decided he was going to have a press conference before uh, Moore and um, uh, Shandere were going to announce the uh, documents uh, at a uh, conference that Moore was hosting. Um, and Moore had to scramble to uh, get his out first. So the day before Timothy Good's publisher had a press conference revealing the documents that were going to be in Timothy Good's book, uh, Moore got out uh, had a press conference and got the documents out into the public eye. Um, so, um, anyway, that's that, you know, that's, that's the MJ 12 story. Um, but then, you know, the, another twist in the road is this whole aviary thing. Uh, so the aviary thing is another really interesting aspect to this whole time period. Um, while I was writing this, it occurred to me that um, 
this was when the whole first earth battalion thing was mm. hitting the military yeah so this is jim shannon um basically jim shannon um while serving in vietnam noticed that a real saw that soldiers were shooting over the heads of the enemy uh and wanted to find out why and wanted to build a better soldier in the aftermath of the vietnam war uh the military had a big morale problem um and so they were open and uh shannon they paid shannon to go on a fact-finding mission to build a better soldier um and you know he had this idea that um you know maybe that sort of compassion shooting over the heads of the enemy could be turned into a strength so he went on his fact-finding mission uh consisted of him going on this whole new age exploration uh out in the west coast um and i i i think he went to over a hundred uh different organizations and it just went through everything you know out of body experience uh um uh, astral projection you name it um this is the men that stare at goats yes yeah. exactly right exactly yeah this is that that whole thing and i actually uh in preparation for this actually read the whole first earth battalion manual which you can download <laughs> um and it's 51 pages and uh it's interesting it actually you know it's got a lot of you know yeah new age uh woo woo uh but it's also what's really interesting is you can I, I i was taken back to a lot of donald Rumsfeld's ideas uh during the gulf war uh with the stripped down army um uh, you know the whole idea where they dropped uh mres down for beforehand and you know little signs where your friends and you know tried to it's really weird that there there a lot of this stuff seems to have been uh, implemented yeah i think a lot of it like the movie you know makes the point you know, fictionalized, of course, but the movie makes the point that a lot of this material was uh, and these tactics were probably uh, used in psychological warfare operations. Well, yeah, well, not to mention uh, yeah. uh, non-lethal weaponry came out of all this right. too. Uh, right. John Alexander's a, a key a, a example of that, uh, proponent of that. Um, but yeah, so it, it was during this period. Uh, the men who stare at goats. Uh, the the, the John Ronson uh, documentary, um, uh, uh, which appears in, uh, as part of Secret Rulers of the World, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've got um, uh, Major General Albert Stubblebine. I think he had 120,000 troops under his command. Um, goes on camera talking about trying to walk through his office wall. You know, the, the I'm made of atoms. Atoms are mostly empty space. The wall's made of atoms. It's mostly empty space. You just got to merge the spaces. Boop. No, never did it. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and this is also going on at the same time SRI is happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stanford Research Institute and all their, their psychic and, and um, the remote, remote viewing. viewing. Yeah, remote viewing programs and all these type of things. It, it, this is all going on at the same time. Right. And a lot of the same guys show up in the aviary lists. Yeah. You've got John Alexander. You've got Kit Green. Uh, Kit Green was uh, 
the what head of uh, what they called the CIA's weird desk, uh, Robert Pandolfi, who was his um, uh, successor. Um, uh, how put offs in there, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, um, and you've also got this guy uh, Ernie Kellerstrauss uh, as Hawk. But yes, which by the way, you would be interested to know that if you've ever heard Doctor Future on our show, uh, Doctor Future was he is a civilian contractor worked for the Air Force at at uh, at um, Wright Patterson. Uh, Ernie Kellerstrauss was his boss. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, it, it seems that this, the aviary, um, you know, it, it's significant in terms of UFO cover-up live because uh, of the names Falcon and Condor. Uh, so uh, Condor uh, was um, Robert Collins, um, and he shows up in the aviary list. Um, and it seems these were the guys that Moore and Chandray uh, were meeting with and uh, getting information from. And they introduced Michael Seligman, the producer of UFO Cover Up Live. They actually brought him to a meeting uh, with some of these guys. And these guys talked about, you know, uh, you know, the, the aliens we have and, uh, you know, all this stuff that, uh, uh so uh Seligman came out of this completely paranoid uh and was driving everybody on the set crazy um and uh some of the uh some of the um staff um actually uh made fun of him and uh they wrote up uh, little cards mj1 through mj12 and stuck them on uh different people's desks um but yeah uh but anyway the, the so the aviary plays a part in ufo cover up live because seligman uh more actually brought him to meet um some of these guys uh at an island in the Great Lakes <laughs> at one point. So, you know, they talk about all this cloak and dagger stuff. I- right. Yeah. This is all just, this is all just fun and games kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, but getting back to the whole feedback loop thing, um, what these guys seem to really have been was a UFO working group uh, that uh, uh, Howard Blum wrote about. Uh, I think he actually wrote about it in the New York Times, uh, that there was a group of military insiders who were interested in UFOs and sat down and talked about them. I think uh, Jacques Vallée was involved as well. Um, And, you know, they're all, you know, guys like uh, Hal Putoff and uh, uh, John Alexander and Robert Collins and, you know, Kit Green. Uh, who are military intelligence and government insiders, uh, they are trying to, well, what do you know? Well, what do you know? Well, what do you know? Trying to get the skinny on what the government knows about UFOs. Um, Well, Bruce Maccabee actually interviewed uh, Ernie Kellerstrauss and wrote this whole thing called Hawk Tales. And what came out of that was 
Um, Keller Strauss basically talking about them getting uh, some of their information from remote viewers who would contact the UFO people. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Adam Go rightly writes about his in his book, uh, Saucers, Coops, and Spooks, and basically sums it up, saying that these aviary guys were getting their inside information from remote viewers. Uh, and so, it's Dodie's a good, it's a good source. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're spinning all this stuff around amongst themselves. They're all government insiders. And then Moore's getting the information uh, from government insiders. So it must be true. Uh, so all this wackiness is just get spiraling out of control. Um, and, uh, you know, then the, the, the ultimate outcome of all this is uh, UFO cover up live. And it serves as kind of a mainstreaming, uh, to the rest of America of all this mythology that had been brewing in, in the ufology world. Yeah. But you know, the, the, it's just the, the strangest thing is that, you know, you've, you've got quote unquote government insiders backing this kind of stuff up. Uh, and you know, the, the producer of UFO cover up live, Michael Seligman, uh, actually going in there and, uh, you know, believing all this stuff. Um, so setting up 900 numbers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's so in terms of it being an, a, a real government disinformation program, it just seems that <laughs> a government, um, confusion program, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, uh, but you do see it as kind of a turning point. I mean, ufology is always personality-driven, but after this, you think that focus on uh, personality-driven research and information and authority and legitimacy through people's backgrounds and affiliation with government or intelligence. After that, that seems to become more more dominant. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that the government knows more about UFOs than uh, we do is... is- you know, all that's all NICAP, that's all Donald Kehoe. Um, um, but um, yeah, that that was that was the 80s and 90s. Was we, you know, uh, you, you have uh, Peter Gersten with um, uh, Cause uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, and fo- you know, going crazy with his FOIA requests, and uh, you know, we've got to pry this out of them. You've got people protesting in front of the, of, you know, Congress and the White House, saying, you know, tell us the story. Um, you know, and the the push for disclosure begins. The disclosure movement, yeah, really gets started around the year two thousand. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah, that so that's basically all of ufology in the eighties and nineties. And it's interesting that it, now, you know, the conversation around the podcasts nowadays really seems to be uh, they're as clueless as we are. Um, and, you know, it's a mystery. Enjoy the mystery. Uh, you know, and. Um, but you, you've still got that. That's still there in, you know, UFO circles. Yeah, it's the new reiteration of it in the whole um, to the stars and everything around. That. Yeah. Yeah. You fast forward today, Lou Elizondo and yeah. Um, a tip and 
focus on people with government right. credentials. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's the same yeah. story. Yeah. And, and yeah, and you know, having that as a main focus, uh, it, it, I find it unfortunate as, you know, I, I approach it as an historian. <laughs> Uh, and I like looking at the cases and listening to the witnesses and trying to get to the original witness testimony um, and, you know, listening to their stories and their stories are really compelling um, and really weird. Um, and, um, you know, writing about this period is going to be difficult for me. You know, I, I'm, I, I love the 70s, uh, but the 80s and 90s, everything just gets awful and paranoid. And, uh, you know, the the whole us and them between uh, the government and us, I, I, I just hate that, you know. It's a reflection of the time period, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. We're it's post- a lot worse now. <laughs> well, we're post, uh, I don't know, we're, you know, with, uh, you know, Waco, Texas and Ruby Ridge. I mean, those were some awful things um where just the government came down hard the government um you know but uh you know people got hurt mm-hmm. uh i i would say things were actually worse then uh, you know this was under clinton <laughs> um uh, i forget who the um uh the attorney general what's it the attorney general reno uh, yeah janet reno uh, yeah, and the whole, you know, if you had a uh, "Don't Tread on Me" sticker, you were kind of targeted as a, uh, a terrorist almost. Um, and yeah, I mean, things things got nasty. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I kind of really don't like this period in ufology. Um, I like what's going on now. I like the conversations I'm hearing and all the podcasts, you know, with you guys and Soraya and right. Micah Hanks and. Uh, uh, Greg Bishop, uh, Aaron Gallius, <laughs> you know, Aaron's, you know, I, I'm, uh, I like Aaron because I, I think we're simpatico in terms of uh, our historical approach. You know, he's like really into the contactees. He's actually opened my mind up to the contactees. Yeah, Aaron's um, great. Yeah. But, you know, the idea that uh, UFO Cover Up Live was a uh, disinformation program, I just, uh, I, I personally came up with, uh, I don't think so. And in terms of, uh, you know, Doty actually being um, a, uh, a a real disinformation agent, I don't buy it. Uh, but the fact that the Air Force hasn't um, publicly acknowledged it, uh, that he was or was not working for us is uh, interesting. Um the only uh, between uh, Robert Hastings also wrote extensively about this and came down hard on Moore. Uh, he came down so hard on Moore that I uh, he accuses Moore of uh, uh, delivering his speech at the 1989 MUFON Symposium, coming clean as a kind of a preemptive thing um, uh, because Hastings had pretty much called him out. Um, but haste between uh, Sparks, Greenwood, and Hastings were three guys that really looked into this stuff deeply. Um, and you know, in terms of you know, was there really an active uh, uh, Air Force disinformation program going on uh, with CIA backing? But you know, mainly the Air Force. Um, 
And Hastings was the only guy between the three of them who definitely thought yes. Uh, he thought maybe uh, Doty kind of went off the rails a bit, but the uh, Air Force came up behind and said, hey, that this will work for us. Um, I think uh, Greenwood plays around with the idea that the uh, Air Force had a grudge <laughs> against ufology and um, kind of went with this. Um, he doesn't really say that uh, there was an active program, but they kind of just let it go. Um, but I don't know. For me, it doesn't seem that there was an active program, but I, I can picture the Air Force just saying, you know, uh, you UFO nuts have caused, caused us so much problems. Uh, but, you know, but then again, this is, you know, the, they got out of the biz in 1969 officially. Um, and, uh, you know, it just seems like a long time for them to hold a grudge. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I come down on the side that, uh, you know, UFO cover up live was a train wreck uh, more than it was a disinformation program. Um, you might have spread disinformation, but it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't truly on purpose. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, 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 I've seen quotes where you know you really don't need much to uh, uh, spread a disinformation in the UFO community. That is true. They do it pretty well themselves. That is true, especially now. I think social media has amplified that effect. Yeah, uh, I actually, totally ignore that. So I'm, I'm not up on that. Good. <laughs> the, the. Uh, I, I would like to point out that, that what you point out that um, the the production company that did this was uh, the same one that did the Al Capone Secrets of Al Capone's vaults. Yeah, which I, I've never looked for, but I know if I could find it on YouTube or somewhere. But like I I remember that I was a kid then, but but I remember I I remember it being just like everybody's like what's in Al Capone's vaults I think you know? didn't they do the whole Raldo uh, Rivera thing where I, what was he he was going to open up something and it yeah that was it that was it yeah that was it yeah so the, yeah Geraldo was that was that was his big thing we're going to open it up and like it was nothing but trash it was like just bottles that was yeah, all that yeah. was in there you know and, and yeah. the, <laughs> but that was like watched by millions of people because it was it was live it was like a live yeah. event and it was just a big dud we were yeah and what happened is is that you know the, the 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 guys who were responsible for the success of that and i think it was the other one was about the titanic uh they yes. weren't available yeah. So Mike, were they going to raise the Titanic or something? Was yeah, something gonna... like that. So Michael Seligman, uh, the producer of UFO cover up live was a low level producer. Um, and also apparently had no, um, uh, real knowledge of the, uh, UFO subject. So, you know, uh, he wasn't the best guy to turn to. Uh, and another thing that happened too, was that, um, there was a writer's strike going on at the time. Uh, Tracy Torme was involved. Tracy Torme was actually, um, uh, he, he was part of um, uh, James Fox's latest production. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tracy he's... Torme is still going. Uh, and Tracy Torme was actually involved in this. Uh, they wanted him to write. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the Writers Guild. Yeah, he was a writer on Star Trek Next Generation. Um, he, wrote, he wrote Fire in the Sky, the original screenplay for that. Yeah. Um, the actual son of Mel Torme. 
Yeah, so he he's the guy who produced the um, the whole Gulf Breeze segment. Yeah. Well, you point out too that Barry Taff had something to do with uh, writing this too. Uh, it wasn't uh, Barry Taff was the. Um, uh, yeah, he, he was the guy who actually posted on uh, the uh, UFO bulletin board service talking about the behind the scenes stuff of all this and talking yeah. about how, you know, Sullivan was going off the rails. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think Barry Taff, uh, his uh, um, his involved his he was actually a uh, paranormal investigator. I think it was the. Uh, the entity yeah the entity case yeah 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 he was he was very much involved in that yeah i had him on it was several years ago oh okay but he he talked about that but like i had you know if i'd known that then i, w- I wish i had someone what i could have asked him then yeah so yeah apparently he, he there is a posting on the ufo bulletin board service uh which i'm amazed you can find uh i found it um and somebody has preserved the UFO bulletin board service, which is really cool. Uh, so I found uh, the posting by Barry Taff. I'm putting quotes there because Barry Taff uh, claimed not to have written it, <laughs> but it really seems like he did uh, because it's inside information on the the behind the scenes that stuff of uh, UFO cover up live, just basically talking about what a message was. Uh, you know, with Seligman getting uh, more, and Torme talks about it too, about Seligman getting, you know, really paranoid after, you know, meeting with the uh, the UFO working group slash the aviary um, and uh, just making really silly decisions. And, you know, one of those being uh, uh, scripting the whole show, <laughs> which was supposed to be live. Um, so... Yeah, it just seems like uh, um, I, I ended the whole thing with the um, uh, a quote from um, uh, <laughs> a quote from Jim Mosley. Uh, what better way to end anything? Um, wow, Jim Mosley was interviewing uh, Edward J. Ruppelt, and yeah, uh, there was a chapter in uh, Jim Mosley's 2002 book, shockingly close to the truth. Confessions of a Grave Robbing Ufologist. Uh, and it was regarding the Air Force's UFO policy, and it was titled Planned Confusion or Pure Stupidity. Uh, and uh, I wrote, as we've been trying to stick to the principle of parsimony throughout the series, if one applies that question to UFO cover up live, the simplest answer is to be preferred. So, you know, planned confusion or pure stupidity. I think uh, pure stupidity would be the parsimonious uh, answer <laughs> to that question. I, w- I would like to, to to also tell you that there was a couple, two or three years after UFO cover up live, there were a couple of these Elvis is Elvis alive specials that are also classic. It, it, but when I watched UFO cover up live, I realized that UFO cover up live was just a template for those Elvis is alive specials. Cause it was exactly the same thing reenactments talking to experts call in if you've seen elvis you know the, this <laughs> it was exactly the same it was exactly the same Did they thing. have any confidential informants in the shadows <laughs> right <laughs> i have seen bubba hotep 
that's a that's a that's a, that's a classic movie. Oh yeah. Um, but, well, yeah, Bruce Campbell at his at his best. We did not get to talk about the book, but uh, we will talk about it because I'm going to have you back on, Charles, to talk about it. Um, the Flying Saucer Investigators is that'll is be a lot easier. One. This is this is a very difficult subject to talk about. <laughs> it's so convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, you know, I recommend anybody who's interested in this, um, you know, well, read my blogs. Uh, available at uh, podcastufo.com, behind the scenes of UFO Cover-Up Live. But uh, Greg Bishop's book, uh, Project Beta, uh, Watch Mirage Men, and uh, Adam Gorightly's Saucer Spooks and Kooks. Um, I really like Gorightly's book. Um, uh, the, that Those are all really good uh, sources for looking into this kind of stuff. All right. Uh, do you have time to stick with us for a Patreon? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll talk a little some of these other questions. But um, please tell everybody where they can find the Flying Saucer Investigators. Uh, Amazon.com. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, put out by Flying Disc Press, uh, Philip Mantle's organization, publishing company. And they can also check out your blog entries at, what is that URL? I actually, uh, I do an audio blog too, uh, for people who don't like to read. Uh, So every blog I turn into an audio blog. So uh, podcastufo.com for the written blog, uh, which um, has all the links. uh, So you can find all the uh, source material. Um, And... um, Martin Willis's uh, YouTube station uh, has uh, Martin Willis runs podcast UFO. So Martin Willis's U- uh, YouTube channel uh, has the uh, the audio blogs every week as well. So, all right, perfect guys, and of course, Conspiranormal. You can find us conspiranormal dot com, and you can find our Patreon, which we're going to do one with Charles here. Um, and Serviel can tell you where to find that if you would like to throw us some support. If you'd like to join the rest of our conversation here and try to uh, untangle another web of secret influences as confusing as these uh, 1980s UFO mythos, uh, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash conspiranormal and join the uh, International Association of Conspiranormalists for only $5 a month and uh, get some of these extra episodes. All right, guys. All right. Well, Charles is going to stick with us um, to do a Patreon, and we will see you guys next week with some more guests on Conspiranormal. It's going to be a quite a year. We're really excited. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.